WIOX is supported by the generosity of our listeners and the following underwriters. Rick's Tire Service, family-owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. Diamond Hollow Books on Main Street in Andes for secondhand vintage and new books. Specializing in literature, the arts, Dante, mycology, and Emily Dickinson. Children's books and stationery. And Diamond Hollow also purchases used books. Open Thursday through Sunday, 10 to 5, by appointment or anytime the front door is open. Upstairs at 72 Main Street, Andes. Readings, book signings, and event schedule at diamondhollowbooks.com. The Delaware County Department of Public Works, holding Delaware County's annual Clean Sweep Chemical Disposal Day for businesses and farms Friday, October 7th, for residential households Saturday, October 8th. Registration required from September 17th through October 1st at 607-865-6474, 607-865-6474, or click the Clean Sweep link at WIOXradio.org. WIOX Roxbury is supported by you. And a really easy way to support WIOX is to donate your car or truck, one that you don't need anymore. You know, the one sitting out in the backfield or off the side of your driveway. We'll get the old clunker out of the way at no cost to you. But it could be worth hundreds of dollars to support WIOX. Learn more about WIOX vehicle donations at WIOXradio.org. Thank you.
Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable TV Channel 20, on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM, worldwide at WIOXradio.org, and on any mobile device radio FM app. This is From the Forest, every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with uh, Ryan and Zane, or John, uh, both are out today. So, just myself and Paul Misko. How's it going, Paul? Hey, all right, Ryan. How you doing? I'm okay. Uh, beautiful weather out there. Saw a double rainbow on the way here, right? Yeah, that was a really intense color, too. It was. Um, would have liked to explore to see if there's a pot of gold under there, but... Uh, Maybe, too. Double my, rainbow. Double rainbow. My <laughs> kids would have loved it. But uh, nice, nice fall weather. It's about 60 degrees high here in Roxbury, Delaware County, and if you were in the sun... That September sun is, is intense, though. It's still warm. Right, yeah, especially if there's no breeze. Once you step in that sun, you're back in summer, you go into the shade, it's fall. Yeah, absolutely. It's my favorite time of year. I, I really like September and October. But um, the leaves are, eh, few are starting to turn up here in the mountains at 1,400 feet elevation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was some, I mentioned to you, um, you noticed them too, but I was asking why. Some of the maples especially had some of the lower branches. One or two would be bright red, the leaves. And was that drought or what's going on? My best guess is that it's drought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on, especially on um, hillsides or ridge crests where it's drier. Right. I noticed okay. a lot of sugar maple were doing that. Yeah, nice color, but it seemed out of sync. Yeah, some just turned brown. But you know what? I still think we're in the running for a good fall despite that drought. I still think because uh, we got some rain here. A lot of the leaves are green, and if you know, really, fall foliage is a from what I've researched in in previous years doing radio shows on fall foliage. It's you want it to get as close to freezing as possible without freezing. Hmm. So you know, upper thirties, low forties at night. Right. Um, not too much wind to blow the leaves off. Rain right, is a right, killer. Right. Rain's a killer for maple. Yeah. The, the oak leaves will hold on, but you get wind and rain, it's over. You know. But, yeah, you know, we get like a night like last night. Yeah. Right? It was right. nice and cool. And that tells the tree, hey, it's time to give up the ghost, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Season's over. Fade away slowly. Right. So then they fade away slowly. Yeah. yeah I remember we had a couple of years uh, where uh, we had a severe storm that just took all the leaves down. You know, everyone's looking forward to a great leaf peeper season. <laughs> and you wake up and they're like all gone. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the problem with the northern hardwood forest. Uh, when I say northern hardwood, I mean uh, maple, beech, and birch. Mm-hmm. The sugar maple are so extravagant, but they don't last that long. Right. Whereas when you get some mixture of oak and maple, it kind of mixes it up, and one will hold the leaves more than others. That's why I, t- I think that the Shangam Ridge is the best place and most undervalued area for uh, fall foliage because mm-hmm. it has a mixture of oak, hickory, maple. Then it has pitch pine to break it up with a nice dark green, mm, evergreen, yeah. and the blueberries turn red against that white rock. But with that being said, maple, red maple and sugar maple in the Catskills is awesome. Sure. So, but, uh, so tonight's topic is things to do. No, things to do. Jesus, I got the wrong title here. Ah, it's Wood- an outrage. I know. Woodland observations. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> and you reminded me that the last time I was here was 2018. I thought it was like a couple years ago. So wow, it's time flying. Four years ago, Paul. Wow. You know, it's a long, that's a while ago now. It's a chunk of time. Yeah. I don't remember what we're talking about. It may have been things to do in winter. 
with Paul Misko, which is the last title I had. Yeah, could have been. You know? Huh. So, yep. And it was a short show. Not much to do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what are you doing, Winter? Right, I yeah. Not much. I you, I knew you liked the cooler months. I love summer, and summer's never long enough. Yeah. But, uh... I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's... I like the seasons, and, and it, the winter gives me a, a chance to do some stuff inside. However, at Catskill Forest Association these days, we're busier during the winter than any other time, hmm. burning apple trees. Hmm. Thank God for heated hand warmers. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But anyway. Not for me. Not for you. I don't blame you. So, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. It's been four years for our listeners who have not encountered Paul Misco. Well, um... What's your deal? I'm the, uh founder of the Catskill 4000 Club, of which you are a member, I am. among others, Mike Kudish and some others, but uh, it's just a small group. So, uh, you know, COVID just really uh, just shook up so many things and put a lot of the hikes on hold, and we have used to have big dinners and stuff, and uh, just really uh, threw a monkey in the wrench, so to speak. So we're trying to, trying to get some hikes going, maybe save the fall a little bit, and I've been busy with other projects. And um, in the meantime, my own little projects, I, I'm still doing my woodworking. But also, um, I think it was um, from listening to one of your shows on trail cameras. I got a um, pretty good trail camera that shoots video with sound. What did you get? Do you know? You know, I don't even remember. Oh, Browning. I think it was Browning. Browning. Yeah. But uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I like it. Have good success with it. Long battery life. I couldn't tell you the model offhand. But it's been um, it's been interesting to see all of the animals that come out at night or in the day when nobody's around. When you're hiking, usually you see maybe a couple birds, a chipmunk. Uh, lucky if you see a bear. But um, if if nobody's around and you got the camera up by a little stream or whatever, all of a sudden there's a show of animals, a parade. Uh, seems like all day long sometimes they're coming, all different types. And then through the night, you know, you see the little beady eyes glowing in the dark and jumping around. So it's it's been a lot of fun. You got a time stamp on it and everything, right? Yep. Yeah. Time and temperature. Oh, temperature too. Cool. Yeah. So it's, uh, and to hear the sound. I, I had a, a cheaper one previous that had no sound to it. But um, one of my latest uh, uh recordings was a bear grabbing my camera and he's trying to with his mouth see what it is and he's his jaws are around the camera and you could hear him breathing <laughs> so hmm. obviously the sound makes it more dramatic bears always mess around with those cameras you know i i i think i've uh some of the um videos the nighttime ones especially or early morning um i think some animals can detect the infrared light because they kind of look at it as if they're checking it out, like yeah. something's there. So um, it's something we can't see, but some animals, coyotes and maybe bears, can see a light, and they're coming over to check it, to sniff it. Maybe they smelled my hands on it when I set it up. Um, I wonder if it's the plastic or something that's in it. it makes could, them attractive, be, you know? But more than once, a bear has grabbed my camera with his mouth, you know, and, and of course, knocked it off track for me. So now it's recording straight down or, you know, yeah, and uh, it off kilter from what I wanted. You know, I mean, we, I, I don't go into their den and mess around with their stuff, but, you know, they feel totally free to <laughs> right. play with my cameras. But 
Now, um, you've been setting up a camera in the Woodland Valley area for a while. Right. What have you learned about installing a camera, you know? Well, um, what's nice is this one has a feature like a test mode where you could see the. it's got a little screen. You could actually see what the camera is seeing, like a little TV screen. Okay. So you could see if it's picking up what you want. You could, you know, set the different ranges of the detection. And um, I know newer ones even have like a wide angle setting and whatever. But you could, you could see actually exactly what it's going to record. And uh, that's nice. It helps you really set it up right. And I set it about um, waist high, you know, because I, uh, I don't want just the shot down at their heads, you know. Yeah. And yet you have to watch the placement because you don't want blowing branches to set off the camera. Because otherwise you'll get a an SD card, a hundred videos of a branch waving in the breeze. So you have to be mindful of that. And then you want the sun behind you if you can, to get the best you know color and saturation. Right. Uh, so there's a spot I've been setting it up this year. Uh, with the drought, I set up my camera at a little spring on the side of Wittenberg Mountain, about 2,100 feet. This is in Ulster County. In Ulster County. Yeah. And. Um, in Woodland Valley, but it's this spring has never dried up. So even in this drought, there was water always running. It's a good spring, and it drew the animals because they need a drink, and you could hear the water dripping, you know, off the edge of the rock and into the pool. So uh, day and night, you know, they would show up. I did the same last year, even though we didn't have the drought. But animals like water; they like hunting around water. And uh, it's a good spot, and there's no branches blowing yeah. around in, in its path. Okay. Um, about game trails ever, if you weren't doing the spring or no? Uh, yeah, I did. Um, there's a bark road that goes up along the stream. Um, and that, you know, as you know, animals usually take human paths too, just like we take animal trails. But they love bark roads, especially the bears, because it's easy to walk. It's just easy, and they smell occasionally smell people, food, whatever. When we say bark roads, what oh, do you mean? Uh, those are the roads that were put in mid 1800s to get the hemlock bark out of the forest. And a lot of those bark roads have since become everything from regular roads to people's driveways to hiking trails, uh, because they were already there. A nice path in the woods. Yeah, you've been on the past to talk about the right. tanning industry, yeah, particularly I, in Woodland Valley. Yeah, I give talks, on, as you know, on uh, the tanning industry and the Catskills and John Burroughs and such. But um, these bark roads are just a whole network of them through most of our mountains. Yeah. Uh, and they they certainly come in handy for lots of uses for both us and the animals. I love bark roads because they're, they're you know, unlike logging roads, they're really narrow. They make for perfect uh, hiking trails, I find. They are, and sometimes logging roads were too overdeveloped, you know, and you don't feel like you're in the woods as mm -hmm. much. But a, a bark road is perfect. It's just a little more clear, a little leveled out. Yeah, we had Dr. Michael Kudish on two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And he talked, because they're narrow, because, uh, were they four feet wide about? Yeah. For one oxen or horse. Mm -hmm. That's all they needed it for. Right. They, they would bring the bark out in the winter. Um and just pile up a sled with a chain wrapped over it of the bark, and the oxen would bring it back to the tannery in the winter. In fact, 
having snow was so important, I saw one letter from one tannery owner writing about, it was February, and he said, because there's been no snow all winter, we haven't gotten any bark in. So that was crucial for them. Um, yeah. And that's what the bark road was about. They built them in the summer but used them in the winter. Hmm. I know in the Adirondacks, real quick, you know, it's kind of a um, tangent, but, you know, you could still find laid-up bark where they didn't take it out. Have you ever heard of that or seen that in the Catskills? Because the Catskills, a lot of people don't realize, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, it, the industry is much earlier than people think, than the Adirondacks and central New York, and especially as you get into Pennsylvania. Like, Kudish claims that by the 1850s and 60s, it's already kind of petering out. It's still there. But not you know the eighteen maybe the mid eighteen hundreds or so is kind of the peak. It wasn't it wasn't as late as it was in the Adirondacks. Right. Yeah. It it uh, something that helped it peter out so to speak was uh, when you had the Civil War. We needed a lot of leather, and uh, if you bought a tannery or built one just before the Civil War, I mean you made a good good amount of money, and if you uh, built one or bought one right after the Civil War, you went broke. Hmm. Because after the Civil War, you had all these army surplus saddles and everything for sale now. Cheap. Oh, right. Yeah. And that would be for years to come. Huh. Um, and so uh, some people made fortunes, some lost them. Uh, some of the tanneries were turned into other types of factories. But um, it's the, the war with Mexico, too, 18, you know, 40s. Um, that was a big draw for leather too. We needed not quite as much as the Civil War, but you, your timing, you couldn't. How do you know it's coming around the bend? But if if your timing just happened to be perfect, you did really well. And if it wasn't, you lost. Huh. Some people. You but you never found bark, right? Why never not? found. I heard rumors of stacks of bark still in the forest somewhere. Yeah. Uh, never saw it. Never had, saw a photo of it. You know. There's on the bark trail, you now there's Corduroy Bridge. Right. Right, you've seen laid up still in the water at that one, yeah. I won't say where, but. Well, somewhere in Woodland somewhere Valley. Somewhere in Woodland Valley. There is still, what I believe is an original Corduroy Bridge, and that's where the bark road would dip down across a small creek. And I mean a small creek, you know, maybe three foot, four foot wide. Yeah. Uh, and they would just fill it in with hemlock logs. And. It was called a corduroy bridge because it looked like corduroy, but you could you could then have a level path over the little stream. And because uh, the wood stayed constantly wet, uh, and I confirmed this with uh, Dr. Kudish, that especially hemlock, it could last as long as it has since the you know 1860s or so. So there's one place where that, what I believe is the original bridge is still there yeah as long and, as it stays right. wet all the time these logs are wet and covered in moss but yeah. they're there um this hemlock rot's pretty good if it if it interfaces with air too mm -hmm. much but yeah so if it's wet right i think because of the tannic acid in it helps yeah preserve it huh. other wood wouldn't fare as well even if it's wet so yeah. it's, it's interesting to find things like that but yes the def the i've had good success setting up a trail camera on the bark roads because the animals love it taking those roads too yeah makes sense and they're all over the place these yeah oh yeah oh yeah once you I mean, once you learn how to find them you see them you can't they're everywhere then i mean I, you know i was hunting in the uh 
in the Rondout area. And I have to cross the big stream to get to it, to the state land. So it's kind of hard to get to. But anyway, I waded across it. And going, I just bushwhacked straight up the mountain. I can't, I must have crossed, I don't know, four to six bark roads. Probably the same one mm-hmm. weaving its way up. But they're all over. Yeah, yeah. They're all over the place, a, man. A big part of the Giant Ledge Trail, uh, state trail from Woodland Valley, is bark road. A, uh, a big segment of the Wittenberg Trail is bark road. Hmm. Uh, you know, so they're... They were there, and uh, they became Woodland Valley Road was once just a bark road. Yeah. And a lot of the driveways, you know, they would just take the bark road, and that's what they'd use to get to their lot and start building. Um, And like I said, um, animals kind of take the easy path, too, like we do. Yeah, it makes sense, right? They they want water. They want easy access. And so I've had to – I noticed a change in the animals I got on camera – even from last year, last two years, last year and the year before, there were a lot of fishers, and uh, I hadn't seen them previous, but all of a sudden they showed up in three different areas. I move the camera around sometimes, and fishers are unusual in that they eat porcupines. I, th- I think they're about the only animal that can eat a porcupine. It's a little tricky. Um, and this year, though, no fishers. But weasels have showed up. There's weasels hopping all over the place. So Fisher is the largest weasel, but you're mm-hmm. saying smaller weasels, right? Okay. And, uh, and how do you know they're weasel? By the way, they're moving and stuff, right? Oh yeah, you could see, and they, they just look like the weasels in the old Bugs Bunny cartoons. You know, yeah. just this long body and kind of arching the back because they couldn't stretch out. They yeah. just, they're so long, they look funny. But at night too, you could see them jumping around with their beady eyes glowing, and uh, that's when they feed along the stream. Um, so a lot of uh, bobcat are still out there, and, and bears, of course. Those have been steady through the years. And when you say years, how, mu- how many years have you been setting up a trail camera? Um, I'd say maybe eight. Okay. Yeah. And bears have, yeah, pretty but much consistent. Bears every year, yeah. Uh, foxes, coyote, too, thrown in. But uh, the fishers were surprised when they first started seeing them, and surprisingly i didn't see any this year so yeah. i don't know if they moved on or or what but it's in the same locations um i know they're they're hunted for fur i think fishers you're allowed to hunt them yeah but, but i don't think that's the reason hunting is so or um trapping is as far as i know it's pretty insignificant and especially in that area yeah i i no one i know yeah traps trapping has gone way down in numbers yeah and uh, the fur prices, as far as I know, are in the gutter. But one animal I did find uh, this year, very unusual, and I looked it up, and it was called the fastest animal on the planet. Okay. I got on my trail cam Yeah. in a video, and uh, it wasn't, sadly, it wasn't, I got most of it on the camera because the bear had previously grabbed the camera and shifted it. So... Um, but it was a peregrine falcon. Really? And there, uh, the I, heck? Looked, I looked it up, and it's an uncommon thing to see. And, you know, there's always, um, when I looked up, like, fastest animal, you know, that's what it states. And if you, if you type in, if you Google fastest animal, you get cheetah. But then it specifies that's the fastest land animal. The fastest bird is the peregrine falcon when it's diving. It's 
when it's diving, it's the fastest animal on the planet. But I did some further research and the fastest animal traveling under its own power, not gravity assisted, is the free tail bat. The could, what tail bat? I bat? just learned about it today. The free tail bat. Do you have any idea where that exists? I think South America. And they clocked that at about 100 miles an hour. So technically, Damn. if you count it as under its own power purely and not gravity, that bat is the fastest animal on the planet. If it's just sheer speed that it can attain by any means, it's the peregrine falcon at close to 200 miles an hour. Get out of town. When it's in a dive. 200? Yeah. You would think it would strip the feathers off, but yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I would have never thought that. Yeah. And, that is amazing. Uh, so it's amazing what you get on the camera that you don't expect, you know. How the hell? Why? I don't know why a peregrine falcon would be on your camera. You know what I mean? Well, they're... They're around in, you know, North America and the Northeast, but they're not, they're rare. And, yeah. uh, what was it? Heinz Mang? Uh, I mean, that was a big deal when I was little in the eighties in New Paltz, you know, he was, um, they're trying to bring him back on the Shangham Ridge, which I think they successfully did. And now they're at bridge, bridges and stuff in New York city. But, but they used to bring him into our gymnasium at school and hmm. Peregrine Falcons and teach us all about him. Yeah. Um, I probably should, uh, I guess, contact uh, Cornell or somebody just to report, you know, the sighting. Yeah. Somebody probably be interested. But uh, at first I just thought it was, it almost looks like a penguin from the part of it I got. You know, it looks funny. It's like, what the heck is that? And I eventually match up the picture and then it's it's clear what it was. Have you ever seen one, because you're not far from there, on Giant Ledge with that cliff face? I've never seen a peregrine falcon yeah. uh, in the wild. So okay. that's why it took a while for me to research and find out what this thing is. 200 miles per hour, though. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's going after another bird or whatever. Huh. Um, so that's been, uh, it's been good. It, you know, I, I recommend anyone get a, get a decent trail cam, even in your backyard. It's amazing the animals that you would never think yeah. were back there. Now there's ones that, I mean, they're going to be more expensive that are solar-powered and go to your phone somehow. Right. You, yep. When it clicks an image, you could see it on your phone. and uh, It's pretty cool. Yeah. So you don't have to mess around with it as much. Right. Right. Or hike to where, you know, you could leave it without your scent on it, you know, yeah. for longer. I have to say one bit of advice, because this is how my first trail cam got ruined, uh, as is true of flashlights and everything. Buy lithium batteries. Mm. The other batteries will often, they get weak and something happens and they corrode. And then the whole insides of the device are ruined. So just get lithium batteries. It, they're as economical because they last a lot longer. They work better in the cold. And they'll never corrode your, you know, ruin your $200 trail cam. Right. So that's my advice for that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is Woodland Observations with Paul Misko. There's a place I can get to where I'm safe. From the city blues and 
and it's green and it's quiet. Only trouble was I had to buy it, and I'll do anything I got to do. Cut my hair and shine my shoes and keep on singing the blues if I can stay here in Johnny's garden. As the swift bird flies over the grasses, dipping now and then to take his breakfast. Thus I come and go, and I travel. But I can watch that bird and unravel, and I'll do anything I got to do. Cut my hair and shine my shoes. Keep on singing the blues if I can stay here in Johnny's garden with his love and his caring. He puts his life into beauty sharing. His children are his flowers, and they give me peace in quiet hours. And I'll do anything I got to do. Cut my hair, shine my shoes, keep on singing the blues if I can stay here in Johnny's garden. Right, that's Johnny's Garden by Stephen Stills, Manassas album. That's right. And I requested that four years ago. I know. I know. I know. No, we. I had it downloaded, but for some reason we, we were unable to play it. I don't yeah. remember why. Well, thank you for finally coming through. I appreciate hey, it. Better late than uh, never. This is from the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic, and tonight's topic is woodland observations with Paul Misko. So. Paul, in-person animal sightings. In-person. Yeah, those yeah. are the best. Well, usually. <laughs> usually. Maybe the hungry bear in person is not the best. But, right. Um, speaking of bears, yes. I think you mentioned it on a previous show, but I had an unusual bear encounter. I've seen bears in the woods in person, oh, maybe 20-something times now, often when I was fly fishing late at, late in the evening, coming back. From being way upstream, you know, you bump in each other almost. And as soon as they see you, they run off. That's the norm. You know, that's what, those are the rules. They see you, they run off. <clears throat> Everybody's yeah. happy. Well, I was at a near this place where I have the camera there in the spring. There's also a little rock ledge with a lookout, a little bit of a view. And so after I set up the camera, I had my turkey sandwich. And I'm minding my own business as usual. Yeah. And I hear something rustle behind me in the in the trees, you know, down in, on the ground, but behind me in the woods. And 
how many times I assume, oh, maybe it's a bear, and you look and it's a squirrel hopping around, and you know. And this time, again, you want to see what's back there because it's moving around. And this time, I see a dark patch of fur through the trees. And, oh, I wonder, is that a fisher? Or So then I step out from behind the tree that was blocking us. Uh, and it was a male black bear, a young adult. And uh, so he sees me plainly. And I see him. And this is the part where he's supposed to run away, <laughs> but he doesn't. And uh, he takes a few steps closer to me. That's unusual. And so I had my walking stick in my hand, and I beat it against the tree a few times and yelled. And he takes a few steps closer to me. <laughs> he's not playing by the, the rules here. Um, and then I picked up a couple of uh, rocks next to me, small ones, and threw them towards him. I wasn't trying to hit him because I like bears. But they landed near him and he ran back just uh, three or four yards and then stopped and faced me. You know, not aggressively, just stopped and was watching me. So that made me uneasy enough to just, I just uh, picked up my day pack and slowly went down the mountain, occasionally stopping to see if he was following. Because I do know, and it's rare, but sometimes a bear will see you as food. And that's the one you may have to fight. You know, you don't want to play dead <laughs> with that bear. The mother and cubs, you want to make yourself small and back away. But a bear stalking you in the woods. Male black bear. Male black bear, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one that you may have to fight and throw stuff and yell and whatever else, you know. But... Uh, Nothing happened. I left, and he watched me leave, didn't follow me. But it was just the first time that I saw a bear, and the bear did not run away. Hmm. So that was just a little unnerving, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. doesn't take a, a very big bear to overpower a human, I would imagine. Right, yeah. And and I kid around with the hiking group. If a bear shows up, like they say, what do you do? I said, grab someone and push them into the bear. But here I was alone, so that plan. <laughs> yeah, and you were alone. You know, all these statistics that people point out, it's extremely rare, but most people don't hike alone. Yeah. And uh, you start stacking the odds towards that incident, you know, maybe happening. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was a, a ranger, uh, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, most people just don't hike alone. And I hike alone, and I had a similar experience that was a little worse. Yeah, but, yeah. um,. It is not a cool place to be in, though, you know. No. You feel very vulnerable. Well, especially when it's not normal. Yeah. You know, you, every other time they see you, they run. And uh, then when they come toward you, it's like, all right. It's like when a little, sometimes you'll see a video of a little, a little dog run towards a bear, and the bear kind of freaks out and runs away because it's not expected. He didn't expect that. Yeah. Same thing. When animals act unusual... Eh, be a little concerned. Uh, so, but that was a, you know, a questionable encounter. But I've had some better ones recently. Yeah, ninety-nine out of a hundred, the bear right. runs away. Maybe more than ninety-nine out of a hundred. And I think, <laughs> yeah, I think the drought played a big role. I think he smelled my sandwich, and he just smelled something good. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the drought has a big part in it because there's not much for the bear to eat this summer 
it could be a coincidence, but back in 2016, when I had my incident, I've talked about in the past multiple times. Um, it was not as droughty as it was this year, but it was it was droughty, yeah. and there was limited mast or fruit and nuts in the forest. Right, right. And yeah, it was a young male black bear, and um, actually, it's counterintuitive, but the evidence out there from Stephen Herrero, who wrote the book Bear Attacks, it's actually wild black bears, is not hmm. the dumpster bear you mm-hmm. would think about. Yeah, I, I saw his video, uh, very well done, well documented of bear attacks, black bear attacks in North America, and the difference between the mama bear with cubs and the the single male bear stalking you. Um, and it's good to know the difference. Um, but, uh, you know, it was still a great experience in a sense. Yeah, it's a story. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the mother bear, I find, for the most part, for the most part, just wants to isolate you from right, the cubs. Right, right. That, you know. Yeah, she wants out of there as much as you do. Right, absolutely. But so, what else you got in person? Anything else? Yeah, um, I took a hike on the Quarry Trail near the Ashokan Reservoir, and just when I started from the parking area, a same adult black bear was just coming down a tree not far from the trail, and this one didn't come toward me, but nor did he run. You know, he came down the tree, and I kept walking. You know, and you always look back to make sure they're not following. But I, I, it seems like the bears are a little thinner this year. Maybe it's my imagination, but I do know there's less mast for them to eat. Yeah. And so they might get a little desperate. Um, so, uh, but I did have a more fun experience. Uh, I took a walk by the reservoir. They have those uh, trails. And there was a something moving in a tall, very tall hickory tree. It was in the branches moving. You think it's, you know, squirrel, but it's kind of big, big black. It's like wow, it's a bear cub. Yeah. I think I think it was a this year's cub, but it was on its own. But he was way up in that tree, and my fear was, you know, the branch is going to break because he was way out on the branch grabbing hickory nuts. But we watched him. We were a little distance, so we weren't disturbing him. But uh, he eventually climbed down the tree and just walked off. You know, he had his fill. And that same, within that same hour, uh, I saw a bald eagle uh, that was flying towards me and then veered kind of last minute. Maybe didn't notice me or something, but I got a few good pictures of that. And uh, then I saw a lightning storm move on to the Burroughs Range. You could see the lightning strikes and all. And we, I, we were still in the sunlight where yeah. we were. But it, that was another great. And then a rainbow at the end of that. So it's like that was a well-packed hour of Catskill nature. There you go. This is the time of year to look for um, broken branches and leaves and acorns at the bottom of white oak or red oak trees. And that's from bears, man. And those cubs mm. are going up there, and they just kind of tear yeah. and bring the yeah. branches to them. So yeah, you'll see uh, some damage at the bottom of oak trees, and those those bears, man, they they are not scared. They go right out to the ends. I remember uh, there was, I don't, I can't believe we did this, but we released this person's oak trees, mm-hmm. and we put a lot of time into it. Okay, <laughs> All right. So we got them in full sunlight, so they're healthy. Yeah. And two two years later. A bear went up there and, and made some bad pruning cuts on oh. these things. I, went, I climbed up there. Yeah. 
And it was I had all I could do to get out in those branches. And you know, you think, geez, these these are some gutsy bears, man. Yeah. You know, I'm tied in, but yeah. Right. So they get up there, and and they must, you know, be I, very confident about it. I, I have a feeling the cub just doesn't know the danger he might be in. You know, maybe he, he just climbs out, and uh, he's never fallen before, so he has no clue how close. I know they bounce yeah. because yeah. I was on. This mountain near Picamos, and I was with my ex-girlfriend, and we heard something, mm-hmm. like scratching. And you're like, okay, that was probably a bear because what the hell else would that be? And it was a, on top of a lot of our mountains are cherry trees because, you know, there's a lot of wind damage, yeah. and it creates a lot of sunlight, which cherries like. And there was a <laughs> lot of black cherries that year. It was probably September, October, sometime in there. And I look up, and now I'm standing right next to the black cherry tree, maybe three feet from it. Mm-hmm. And I look up, and it's a small bear, but the bear wants out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we surprised it. Yeah. So it starts yeah. scratching its way down, and I didn't have enough time to react. Huh. And I'm huh. like, I'm about to get really close to a bear. Yeah. The bear, instead of coming all the way down, the last ten feet or more, I yeah. mean, it was high, just leaps out of it. Wow. And it was impressive. It was a black flash down the mountain, and just crashing it was pretty cool yeah yeah there was there's a in woodland valley again there was a giant still is a black cherry tree and it was last year must have had cherries because it was just full of bear droppings around it and bear uh, scratchings from the claws so those cubs must have been working that tree yeah all last september whatever but uh this year i didn't see any cherries there's nothing so i didn't bother setting up the camera there but, yeah i haven't noticed much either yeah it's, it's really it's tough on them but if you're just tuning in you're listening to from the forest and tonight's topic is woodland observations with paul misco
All right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is Woodland Observations with Paul Misko. So what do you want to talk about now, Paul? Well, in the time we have, uh, I always like to give a, uh, maybe just a reminder of some of the things you should take when you go on a hike. Uh, one of our things our hiking group is about, besides uh, Catskill history, is uh, being prepared on the trail. And it's amazing. I'm sure most of your audience goes prepared, but there's always people on the trail. You see them headed up the mountain, especially on fall hikes, late fall, and they just have a water bottle in their phone and the clothes on their back, and that's it. And that's okay if everything goes well. But here's the question I people need to think. If I had to spend the night on the mountain with what I have on me, how well would I do? <clears throat> yeah. Um, especially now in the fall, you get hurt or lost. That's a cold night on the mountain. And that's if it's not raining or sleeting or snowing. Uh, there's Every uh, week I get uh, the uh, electronic uh, newsletter from DEC, and it's got the... Uh, all the incidents, or some of them, where the rangers had to go rescue a hiker. And here's one here with uh, a woman hiking with her 10- and 12-year-old kids, and they got lost. They got separated from her on the mountain. They got separated from her, huh? Yeah. Um, another fellow um, had to spend the night below freezing. He got off the trail. No flashlight, you know. Another guy broke his leg near the, the uh, Cornell Mountain, where the, the, they call it the Cornell Crack, where that huge boulder oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Broke his leg there. That's a, that's a hard place to get someone out of. That's bad. And, uh, you know, things can happen, and it's just better to have all it takes is three or four pounds of stuff in your pack, which isn't much. The pack weighs almost two pounds, just empty, and makes all the difference. And so I'm just going to yeah. list a couple of things. Let's go through it. Let's go through it. You know? <clears throat> um, here's what I recommend. This from my experiences. Other people have maybe slightly different lists. But uh, this is for, you know, the long hikes, up to ledge, Wittenberg, slide, whatever. Two sources of light. So two flashlights or headlamps are even better. Lithium batteries. Um Two sources of ignition for lighting a fire with a fire starter. You may have to spend the night on the mountain. Uh, a loud whistle is good if you get lost or have to signal somebody else who's lost. Uh, plastic sheet, like a you know one of those green garbage bags, and a space blanket, those reflective blankets, uh, so you have something dry to lay on and cover yourself with the blanket at night if you have to spend the night. Or if somebody's injured and you just have to leave them for a few hours in the cold, it's it's uh, really nice to have that. A stainless steel water bottle is good, um, as opposed to plastic. Why? Because the metal bottle, you could actually fill it with water, put it over a small fire, and have like a hot water bottle to keep you warm for a little while. That helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Warm fluids. Right. Or, or just to drink hot water, you know, as you're waiting, if that's all you have, uh, as opposed to cold water. A rain jacket or poncho, uh, a fleece jacket and a wool hat. 
or fleece hat, you know, something warm. Again, you're warm climbing the mountain in the sun. It's nice out like today. But if you had to spend tonight up on Wittenberg and the wind picks up and it's in the 40s, maybe the 30s, the dampness of your clothes, um, a couple of energy bars. If you need medication, take a few extras in a little container. Pocket knife or better, a multi-tool. Um, small baggie full of paper towels or wipes. Um, cell phone is good if you have one. Because you could, uh, often a cell phone, if you can't make a regular call, it will put out more power when you make a 911 call. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, and don't use, don't rely on your cell phone as your flashlight. <laughs> I've had people tell me, I don't need a flashlight, I've got my cell phone. Well, the cell phone has its purpose to be able to send a message out for help. Um, you don't want to run it down using it as a flashlight because it doesn't last long. And I like to add a small first aid kit, a bandana, pen and small pad if you need to leave a note on the trail, a uh, length of rope, um, and extra batteries. Now for cold weather, there have been times when at the, at the base of the mountain where we park, it's warm, it's April, whatever, October, November, you don't see any ice or snow, but up higher on the trail, all of a sudden, and the trails tend to have more ice because that's where the water runs down.